You're listening to Cancer Covered. Is there reason to believe that patients who are deteriorating on treatment, who are feeling worse, might actually be living less time than if they weren't getting treatment at all? Yes. We have seen that. It's not easy to know, but somewhere all of us know that this treatment may cause more issues for the patient. Sometimes we, we always start with the fact, okay, we can start a treatment, see how you tolerate, and if you don't tolerate, we stop a treatment, which is sometimes a good compromise between us and the patient. Mm-hmm. Or for us too. Yeah, for us too, because once you try, you know how these things are going. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. All cancer treatments start with a set of goals, though not all cancer treatments have the same ones. Sometimes we're trying to achieve cure, and sometimes we're only able to reduce symptoms and buy time, otherwise known as palliative treatment. But all cancer treatments, whether curative or palliative, come with potential downsides. And what may be an acceptable downside in the curative setting may not be acceptable in the palliative setting. It's easy for patients to get confused by this, and there's no better example of this confusion than the question, should I choose quality of life or quantity of life? On today's episode, I'll talk with Dr. Kamala B., medical oncologist, about what this question means, how to approach it, and whether the choice is real or simply a misunderstanding. Kamal, great to see you. Welcome to the podcast. This is your first time with us. Xavier, thank you for having me. Yeah. Tell our listeners a bit about your clinical background. Uh, so I did my med school in India. After that, I came to U.S., did my residency here in internal medicine at Penn State Hershey, did a medical oncology fellowship at University of Toledo, then did a bone and stem cells transplant fellowship at Memorial Sloan Catering. Worked as a uh, allogenic and autologous stem cell transplanter for around two years before I jumped into community oncology practice. Yeah, and we've been working together now for about uh, eight years. You're one of my favorite people to work with and uh, enjoy it a lot. Stem cell transplant and uh, bone marrow transplant generally is one of the more aggressive modalities of therapy in cancer care. Do you think people that work in and around transplant come at oncology with a different mindset sometimes than others? They do, in a sense. They have to look at the end, not the journey. Sometimes they struggle with understanding how hard the journey could be. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look at like six-month interval, 12-month interval, 24-month interval. And whether patient reach that interval or not, but sometimes is what happens in that interval. Right. And I think that that's a struggle. Uh, but if you look at in patients with bone marrow or stem cell, we we talk about thirty days, hundred eighty days, mm-hmm. three hundred sixty days, and other things. But those are very long intervals. I mm-hmm. think uh, struggle is how the patient is doing in between those intervals, what those days mean for the patient. Right. I mean, the goals of transplant are often curative, and patients and their doctors tend to push the envelope pretty far when the goal is cure versus a, a really bad outcome without cure. So the bar is set set pretty high, uh, and uh, we often have to accept a lot of uh, difficulty along the way. Yeah. If, if, if you look, the patient's going for transplant, that's the last opportunity they have to beat the cancer. 
So either you beat the cancer or cancer beat you. So I think that that's where the struggle between the physician, patient, and the goal becomes a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of an all-in move, isn't it? Yes. You know, one of the reasons that I enjoy working with you so much and where we really kind of inform each other's practice is with that background, you know, you bring that very aggressive mindset to the bedside, which is a good thing. You know, my additional background comes from the other spectrum because I'm boarded in palliative care and hospice medicine besides being boarded in oncology and hematology. And when we start with a palliative care frame of reference, I think the questions are often more about what are we hoping to gain from therapy versus what are we willing to risk with therapy and how does that come out in the balance? These are not easy questions to answer. I think these are not easy questions to answer. And I think the settings are also very different, especially if you look at like leukemias or lymphomas, Mm -hmm. even with the aggressive treatment like transplant. There is still a hope for cure. Right. Not very high, but there is still a hope compared to if we have a patient with stage 4 lung cancer or stage 4 colon or gastric cancer. Even if we push the treatments, we know we cannot cure those patients. Right. So it goes back to the fact, the approach, whether we are going for a cure or we are going for just control. I think that's the first place sometimes where patients and often their families uh, get confused that whatever we're hoping, medically speaking, most patients, depending on their disease, depending on the limits of the treatments that we have, will fall into one of those buckets. I mean, is this a situation uh, that we can reasonably expect cure or is it a situation where we need to be mindful of toxicity and side effect because what we can reasonably achieve is improvement in symptoms, improvement in quality of life, and hopefully gaining some time for patients. Yeah. Again, going back to the the stem cell transplant, like we say, okay, when you induce the patient or you give them stem cells, you're going to have tough three weeks or four weeks. Mm -hmm. But maybe once your count recovers, you will feel better. Yes. But in patients who have stage four lung cancer, if they get a toxicity with first cycle, we know the second cycle is going to cause the same toxicity again, and the toxicity would be mostly cumulative, so it's going to get worse and worse. It's not going to get better. Right. The entire purpose of the treatment kind of comes out in the wash if the treatment proves too difficult. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see a meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you, wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. For clarity for our listeners, what we're going to be talking about today is really cancer treatment in the palliative setting and the palliative setting only, how we talk about weighing quality versus quantity. So, Kamal, do patients receiving palliative cancer treatment in the palliative setting 
really have to choose between quality of life and quantity of life, in your opinion? I think what I've learned from the patient, that is very critical. When a patient comes to you, patient is always looking, okay, how to control the cancer without understanding clearly how it can affect his quality of life. A patient walking into your clinic, if you give very aggressive treatment or you keep on pushing treatment which are causing issues to the patient, maybe next time coming in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Is that what patient wants? And patient doesn't know when, when they enter your clinic, like how these things can affect their quality of life. We, we all want to live longer. But in that struggle, we forget how we want to live. Do we want to spend time with our family or friends, like you and me are talking right now? Mm -hmm. Or I want to spend time in a hospital room and not doing anything I enjoy. Do you think fear of cancer and what it means and fear of mortality drives people to sometimes ignore the side effects of treatment or to not weigh them yeah, proportionally? It does. it does. Is there reason to believe that patients who are deteriorating on treatment, who are feeling worse, might actually be living less time than if yes. they weren't getting treatment at all? Yes. We have seen that. It's not easy to know, but somewhere all of us know that this treatment may cause more issues for the patient. Sometimes we, we always start with the fact, okay, we can start a treatment, see how you tolerate, and if you don't tolerate, we stop a treatment, which is sometimes a good compromise between us and the patient. Mm -hmm. Or for us, too, because yeah, we don't always too, know. Yes. Yeah, for us, too, and because once you try, you know how these things are going. How long does it take to get a sense of whether palliative treatment is going to be more help than harm or more harm than help? It's a hard question. I think I feel in first two to four weeks, you get your answer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even in first week, you get an answer, like how patients feel. And a lot of time, I think it's patient may know that, yes, I don't want to do it. They do it because to give their family a sense that I'm not giving up. Yeah. And that's another struggle, how you, you become an advocate for your patient. You know, as a physician, our role, I feel, is not only just to come and tell, okay, you have this cancer, you, have, you can get this chemo, but also support the patient in the decision-making and be like, just stand by their side and advocate for them what they are looking for. How easy is it for patients, do you think, to recognize objectively when they've reached that tipping point, when treatment may be uh, causing more harm than help. Do patients generally recognize that, or is it a mix? I think if you have a, a good discussion with them, they will reach that point. How about cancer doctors? That's another struggle. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. At the end of the day, we all come with this mindset, okay, we have to make the change. We want to help. And... We feel making the change is just giving a treatment. But a lot of time we forget making the change, maybe not giving the treatment. And I think that understanding that aspect that no treatment is also an option when we talk about the options with our patients. Do people who are having problems with cancer treatment, maybe extreme, you know, significant difficulty with cancer treatment, do they ever improve when we stop the treatment? Yes. Mm -hmm. They live... I think better, whatever time is left in planet Earth for them, they spend, they are able to do the things they like to enjoy. And again, for clarity, we're talking about people who start off in a pretty good place and pretty functional, but as a result of treatment-related problems, yes. 
deteriorate, stop being functional. You know, a, a significant percentage, uh, often the majority of cancer patients will benefit substantially from treatment, but there are, there are some clearly who, who get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just having that discussion with the patient, what are their goals? What are they looking for? Some people want to live longer they, because they want to attend a graduation. They want to attend a marriage or do things, and that's their goal. And how we can achieve that goal so that at least they are able to go to that graduation. They are not spending time in the hospital when that graduation is happening is also important. How you balance that out is a critical thing. One of the challenges increasingly, and it's for a good reason in palliative oncology, the threshold for benefit versus harm for what we consider traditional chemotherapy is pretty clearly set, and it's defined by something called the the functional status, the performance status, which is really just a general classification of how well can a person get through their day, do the the basic necessities of life and those sorts of things. And we know that patients uh, who struggle beyond a certain point don't benefit from more traditional forms of chemotherapy, and people who are more functional than that have the potential to benefit from it. But it's gotten a lot murkier with some of these newer non-traditional chemotherapy agents, the molecular therapies, the immunotherapies. Any insights about how to think through those things? That's very challenging as I think we, we feel like, okay, immunotherapies don't cause side effect, but they do. Similarly, oral drugs, we think they don't, don't cause side effect, but they do. Maybe not as significant as other chemotherapeutic drugs do, but they can. And how to balance that out is a challenging thing because even in patients sometimes who have moderately poor performance status, they can tolerate these drugs better than chemotherapeutic yeah. drugs. And that these drugs help them. Mm-hmm. I think that's where having that whole discussion at and understanding how patient is tolerating, how they are responding, right. are we helping them or are we not helping them? I wonder that a lot myself. I mean, the story of these newer drugs, which we've only had for, you know, not even not even 10 years yet, is still being written. And I think it kind of behooves us to keep an open mind about these agents and functional status, but we also have to keep a clear eye about how people are affected and, and you know, be willing to modify the approach if, if, if they're running into a lot of, lot of difficulty. I think it, 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 these drugs have made it more challenging. I think maybe with chemotherapy, we had a little bit better understanding because we have long history with them and with these new drugs, the history is being written as we are talking about that. So we will see how these drugs do in future. Maybe the the way we are making decisions based on the performance status, the one we say about ECOG, maybe these drugs changes that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I certainly hope so. Well, this is one of the reasons why I'm always grateful to have thoughtful partners like you to to think through these things together, it it it's, uh, gets more challenging every day. And that's where the conversation between different partners help because everybody comes from different experiences. We see diff- patient, different patients and we see them at different points of their treatment. But we always have the same goal. And the goal is, you know, it's a comfort to know that we're, we're all united in that with the patient. We want people to live as long as they can, as well as they can. And uh, sometimes they're, we may have to rethink how to get there depending on how things go. Mm-hmm. Kamal, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Same here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, 
search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. 